Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ski Instructor Podcast. My name is Dave Burrows. I'm the director of Snowpro Ski School based here in the Valley in Switzerland. Um, this week I had the opportunity to go to Verbier and speak to Julian Griffiths of European Snow Sports. Um, I went to see Julian on uh, the day after the first snows of the autumn so uh, so here it's quite pretty at the moment we've got all the autumn sort of colors uh, in, in the valleys and then on the high mountains above about 2,000 meters um, we've got a sort of sprinkling of snow which uh, you know and, and, a, and, a, and a reduction in the temperatures which is um, something different from the heat waves that we've had over here in the in the summer so um, it was a really nice day to go over to Verbier and, and have a look at the scenery over there and, uh, and I chatted to Julian about his journey on becoming a ski instructor and, and eventually starting his own business and how, um, how European snow sports got started. Um, we also chatted uh, about Brexit and unfortunately that's uh, it's inevitable uh, lately as we get closer and closer to the, uh, closer and closer to the date and the complexities that that's going that's gonna, to um, bring to the ski industry um, over here. So enjoy this first half, enjoy the chat that we had, and, uh, and I'll catch you uh, somewhere in the middle. Julian Griffiths, European Snow Sport. Yep. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We have already had uh, a lovely coffee just next door. Um, I see you here today. We're in Verbier, and there's a little dusting of snow on the high mountains. A yeah. preview of winter coming along. Um, how are you? Yeah, good, good. Just um, in the office, getting things ready for the for the winter. Excellent, so, excellent. Yeah, it's all happening. You've got quite the operation here. Um, for those of uh, those of our listeners who don't know, um, so European Snowsport, you're based in a number of locations, and I, instead of me guessing, I think I'm going to let you tell me. So, so what you want to give us an overview of your organisation and, and yeah, we're a, we're an international ski school. We're based in our HQs in Verbier. Um, we have two main operations, which are Verbier and Zermatt. And then we have a presence in uh, we have a ski school in Nanda and Chamonix. Um, those are franchises, okay. um, and they you know they are owned by other ski instructors, um, Jamie in Nanda and Paolo in Chamonix. Um, and then we have a partnership with Ski Cool in Samaritz, so it's ES operated by Ski Cool. Okay. So we have those those resorts. Have we gotten any? Um, and, and yeah, each each one has a slightly different arrangement. Um, our aim is always to try to find and provide really good ski instructors who are a great company mm. and who people like to spend their holidays with. Okay. You know, I mean, I think I think a lot of the... Well, I know we're going to talk about this later and <laughs> ski instructor education as, as such, but a lot of the stuff that people focus on as they go through those systems yeah. is, is useful, mm-hmm. but a lot of it, I think, when you actually do the job... Um, is, 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 is not so much use you need you need the interpersonal skills the customer service yeah. the, you know having a certain amount of personality and mm. just being fun to be with is, is, is ass or more important than a lot of the stuff you it's, it's you funny study. that isn't it because I uh, it gets a mention almost on a, like every podcast is yeah. uh, the guy I took on last year just literally because he was in the right place at the right time a guy called Pete he had a Beatty one everyone loved him Loved it, absolutely loved it. Yeah. And uh, and hello, Pete, if you're there. Um, unfortunately, he's left us this year. He's gone. To, he took 
a corporate job in an extra somewhere and it's killing me because every, every client of his from last year is like oh is Pete back I'm like no he's not yeah. back <laughs> so um, yeah yeah so we actually separate how requested people are from how qualified they are yeah I think that's when we set our priority yeah. in various other ways of rewarding people um, yeah. it's very important because um, you know the actual job of teaching skiing um, is it's is a small part of you know the, yeah the, the, how they ski I mean people can misinterpret that and say oh well you know they have all these great person you can't ski that's not the case you have to be a good skier mm-hmm. and I have a certain you know I think it's I think it's good inside a ski school that people are a little bit competitive with their skiing mm-hmm. that when they ski in front of their colleagues they're under a bit of pressure mm-hmm. they have to ski well yeah you know um, I think I think that's good I think you go out skiing under the chairlift and I want my instructors to think right. I've got to ski well. I've got to put good yeah. turns in. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got to have that. Yeah. And it's rewarding and it's challenging and, you know, maybe you're not the best skier in the school, and, but you've got to be working hard to, to get there. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. I think that's important. But the teaching side, the customer care side, finding those people, retaining them, mm. um, for us, for yes, most important thing. We spend a lot of time on lifts, don't we? Yeah. And you know that. And, and I recruit on the basis of art. Is that person interesting? Yeah. You know, have they got? Are they more worldly wise than just? You know, I know about skiing and that's it. Because they're quite one-dimensional that way. Otherwise, yeah. Um, and yeah, you're right. The skiing is important. Yeah. But we match the as you, I expect you do. You match the skier according to what the lesson is. Yeah. And as an instructor, you have to be better than the person you're in front of. Yeah. But not. I mean, hugely better well, yeah, you know in terms of yeah. you, you know as instructors we're probably skiing at, at, at generally at a capacity of maybe 20% of what we could really do most of the time mm. you know anything up to about a basic parallel I don't think we're we're reaching anywhere near what we what we could really deliver yeah and so you know, actually, then what you say is the interpersonal skills and, and your your life experience is much more interesting, in my opinion. Yeah, and a certain confidence on the mountain, you know, knowledge of the mountain, and ability to make people looked after, feel looked after, and mm. you know, I think local knowledge is very important. Yeah, um, and I but I think you can learn that. Mm. I don't think you have to be here for nine generations to you know to, to have that. It's nice yeah. if you do. Yeah. Um, local instructors, you know, there's nothing sort of cooler than your instructor saying, oh, you know, my, my grandfather, he climbed that peak over there, he was the first one. That's, mm-hmm. All that stuff is great. And we've got instructors who can say stuff like that. Mm. But there's a lot of other local knowledge, which which they, simply put, they can learn. And we test them on it. Mm. We make them do little online tests from time to time. And, you know, they have to they have to know that. They have to know that stuff, yeah. You know, we, cool. we just write it all down stick it in a multiple choice online test and make them do it not not every year we do it mm. every couple of years but it's it's definitely a thing I think it is a thing it's, it's, it, and actually it doesn't take much you know know the names of all of these local mountains yeah you know like what are they what's that over there or you, you put it in your formation at the start of the season where the best restaurants are yeah and another part which I don't know whether you do really over here in, in Verbier so much because I think it's, there's, there's we'll come to this maybe later there's a lot of ski schools here but where we are often, we'll you know we'll be in a queue, or you know you'll be standing next to someone from a rival ski school, and actually, actually we'll say, oh hey, this is this is Jeff from the 
mm. the Red School. He's a really cool guy. He does this, that, and the other. And part of that makes the client feel really good. So, oh, well, mm. this is a guy who knows everybody. Yeah. You know, that's important. The guy, you know, Jeff isn't going to steal my client. Yeah. I know he's not as good as me. But, <laughs> but it yeah. makes the client... Yeah, it's good from a client's perspective to know that you know everybody. Mm. You, know, you shake people's hands and you're respectful and that, that kind of thing is it's hugely important, I think, yeah. from a from a company yeah, definitely, yeah. company perspective. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that's our that's our philosophy. That's what we work hard to to deliver. Mm. Um, we're about thirty five to seventy instructors in Verbier, twenty to twenty five to fifty in Zerma, oh and the the other schools are a little bit smaller. But it takes a little bit of administration getting them all, or the the foreign ones permits and. Yeah, everything's set up properly, and you know, mm. it takes a little bit. We've got a great team in the office that does that and organises the sales. And um, I think the customer service on that side is, is pretty important. We've mm. got maybe 17, 17 ski schools um, in Verbier, and you know, most of the most of them take their bookings. It's the guy who teaches who takes the bookings. Yes. So you can't, you can never get through to him. And, yeah. You know, we we would sit. We we called up some of the ski schools in Chamonix a few years ago, and we rang one at one o'clock in the afternoon, and the guy was asleep. You know, and it's mm. it's like if you've got an office and people can take calls, and you know, silly things like a phone system. You know, so that if one person's busy on a call, that they can go through to another person. You can yeah. get through. You can take the bookings, and I think that's that's part of it. Certainly reflected. We you know, we get some we get some great referrals from some of the really good Charlie companies here and we work with the mm. best ones and some of the great, some of the good hotels in Zermatt yeah um, routinely send us business so yeah we must be we must be doing something, something yeah like. well it looks to me you know I'm, like I say we were talking earlier about you know how do you scale up a ski school from it just being you and a telephone yeah and, and that there's nothing that bugs me more than, than seeing instructors you know in a lesson on the phone yeah you know, juggle trying to juggle the role of of, of two things yeah. at least. Um, you know, really, when when it, it doesn't look very professional to me, I see it all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you how do you take your business from that place to to the place where you're a much much bigger operation, and, and that's that's something that's really interesting to me at this point in time. Yeah. You know, with a with a growing ski school and and. Uh, and but I, I just don't want it to be completely reliant on me in the future. Yeah. You know, because there's a lot of people who rely on me now. And then, you know, like you say, if I get run over by a bus or something or, or run down by a piece basher, <laughs> then, <laughs> Hopefully not. then what happens, you know? So, yeah. Uh, do, do you have underneath ES, do you have a couple of, like, sub-brands? What is... Yeah, we have ES Academy, which okay. is um, training programs. Yeah. Um, so we have a program for level ones mm-hmm. and people who are starting out yeah. in, in Nanda. And in Verbia, we have a program for people, level twos, training for their level three. We also have that in Nanda and Zermatt. Mm-hmm. And then in Zermatt, we now have um, a program for aspiring level threes okay. and a program for aspiring level fours focused on Basie. Okay. Our director over there, Hannah Bryans, is a Basie trainer and she runs her and some of her some of her crew run a, a good training program there, and that's mm-hmm. really popular. Okay. Um, Jamie Nanda, his his a lot of his training is it's all multi system, so all our courses are open to everybody. Yeah. There's a bit of an IAC flavour in Nanda, a bit of yeah. a Basie flavour um, in Zermatt, mm-hmm. and we take we take people onto those programs for every system, and I think 
I think that's good. I think systems, you know, good skiing is good skiing. Yep. I think yeah. there are some specific things around language for each system, but if a system becomes so opaque, so mysterious, and, and such, so hard to understand that you absolutely, you know, it's a mystery, yeah. you shouldn't be in that system. No. no. You know, it should be, okay, I, I understand, it should say to you after the first couple of levels, I think an aspiring instructor should go, okay, I, I now have an understanding of what good skiing is. Yeah. I know how to develop skills in other people yeah. and myself. I know how much practice leads to my skiing feeling better. Mm-hmm. I know when it feels better, it's better because I'm moving better, I'm balancing better, my balancing movements are smaller, therefore I can start to increase my speed, range of movement, things like that. Mm. And if you don't understand those things, then go and learn them. Because mm. you, you know, when I look at all the training programs, I see quite a few of them where the students are very dependent on feedback. Yes. And, you know, level one and two, yeah, external feedback. Is that right? Yeah. Well, you know, you should be leading people towards independence mm. as a learner. And sure. if they, um, if they're training, they should begin to understand it and understand the volume of practice. Yeah. You know, doing 10 runs with 10 lots of feedback um, is no good for you. You need to do one run with a little bit of feedback, maybe something to try. Then you can do three, four, five, six runs, just practicing that. Mm. It takes that much to make a tiny change. It sure does. And then move on to the next thing. Maybe vary it. Mm. You know, but it should be internal. It should be. You know, I know how many. If I start the season and I haven't skied for a few months, and I know, okay, my skiing feels a little bit average. Mm. I know it feels average because of the speed, the range, the movement, the turns. I know, okay, I I do certain drills for myself. I know that if I go off and I do, I ski on one ski, it will feel pretty ropey at first, but after a couple of runs it feels better, the next mm-hmm. day it feels better. I do some java, I do my drills, and all of a sudden my feet feel more glued, as I'm doing my normal feet feel more glued to the snow, I'm more in contact. And I know it takes me a couple of weeks to get back, and I, and I can feel it, and that's the experience I have. But for a lot of junior instructors, they don't have that, So, no. but they should be aiming for that. Mm. You know, Understand how long it takes you to develop, how long it takes a client to develop. And I think the key in the teaching is to understand, try something new before the season, mm. something you've never done, yeah. and realise and try to remember, be reminded how awkward it is, getting the equipment, it doesn't quite oh, fit, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and the new environment, and all the sensory overload that a, a, a client goes through. Yeah. And remember that when you rock up to do your lesson, comfortable in your equipment which is well fitted oh. to you in your environment right. where you're comfortable yeah yeah uh, the, the person facing you the, stu- the, 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 yeah. the, the the client is not necessarily in the same place they're in new gear wearing funny clothes in a different environment on holiday mm-hmm. they've been traveling with their family and you know when they fly for business or whatever they they get on the plane they put their bag in the thing they get off mm-hmm. and done flying with their family Oh, they're stressed out of there. You know, it's not really busy. Yeah. They're on a charter or a tourist flight. You know, and it's yeah. a nightmare. So they, they arrive pretty stressed out. And if they, I love all this like economic cause and effect stuff, but if they're rich enough to be skiing with you mm. in a ski resort in a peak week, mm. they're probably pretty successful. Mm. So they probably have a job which rewards them well. So they add a lot of value. They probably have responsibility, stress. So you got to remember where they're at and what they're feeling and then mm. so it's always good to do something new before every season you know try a new sport or something so you just get reminded I think I'm just reminded yeah, how that couldn't agree with you more that feels. that's that's top of my um, well I, so I spent my summer writing all of the, the blog posts and all the media for uh, 
that, that will be going out to our clients in the in the winter oh. and one of those is exactly that what is the experience of a parent with kids to get them to the ski resort to mm. stand in front of you at nine o'clock in the morning mm. now you're sitting there you've just come out of the, the Hermitage Hotel here you've had a nice coffee you're feeling pretty mm-hmm. cool your boots fit everything is great you're lovely mm. and warm client has just you know I, I got one of my clients with two two kids um to, to, to write for me what his experience of a morning was mm. and it's chaos for him to get get his kids there at that time in front of you mm. and you know for you to rock, rock up with like a winning smile and, and sort of to say oh yeah how you doing all that sort of stuff well his his experience of that that path is completely different mm. it's important that, that our instructors know that um, I read that out to them at, at our formation last year and I said look you have to have this empathy because this is really, really important. You know, your client's mm. experience of skiing is not the same as yours. Yeah. And one of the things that I really, really want to do, um, and you're welcome to steal this idea if, you, if you've got <laughs> it, is I'm, and watch out uh, Snow Pro's ski instructors because this is coming, if I can get it organized this winter, is everyone's going to go and get rental equipment. Mm. Oh, everyone I've, is yeah. going to go and ski on rental equipment I've, I've wanted to do that for ages and yeah. it, it'd be a bit of a mission to organise but if I can do it because our stuff as ski instructors is so finely tuned to us mm. that you know to, 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 alright you go and rip short turns now on a pair of rentals and a pair of rental boots and see how far mm. you get on because it won't did, be I did my second trainer selection on a pair of rental skis just for <laughs> just to take the best really but <laughs> Um, <laughs> successfully <laughs> kind of um, but uh, yeah no it's definitely a good thing to do yeah. yeah I think rental boots would make a more of a difference rental skis yeah. are kind of you know you probably get used to it but rental mm. boots I would imagine would be a real difference a real oh, and, and so just going back to the original point your other brand so your other sub brands you've got ES Academy and then there's, there's something else ESA right ESA European Snow Sports Swedish Experience okay um it's not an equal opportunity employer. It only employs Swedes. <laughs> okay. It's a little bit awkward around the other Scandinavians, but well, it's a called big, the Swedish uh, experience, so yeah. they have to be Swedish. Um, but there's a big uh, Swedish population here in Verbier. Huge, yeah, yeah. Huge. Huge number of clients, good resident population, and we have 10, sometimes 8, sometimes 12 Swedish instructors who work in their own special uniform. Hmm. Um, in the Swedish school holidays, we have kids groups in Swedish. No we had, I think we had 13 groups of kids in Swedish last year. Yeah, it's really successful. Um, what, just, why just are the, the Swedes here? Why, why is there so many Swedes here? Uh, well, the, some of the royal family and some of the really influential Swedes um, have a, are here. So right. And there was a famous ski movie, uh, I think it's called Snow Roller, okay. which was made here in the 70s, uh, featuring some of the famous local like skiers. Yeah, yeah. They're all business owners now. Yeah. Um, and it's just a really um, popular Swedish Swedish destination. Yeah. Um, and you know what? Those instructors are fantastic. They're yeah. Great. They're great employees. They're great skiers. They're really passionate about their ski. I mean, <coughs> amazing. I mean, they're reliable employees. Mm. You say you're going to come for this many weeks, you get this much money. They come, you pay them that money, and they go. Mm-hmm. They don't try and renegotiate in the middle of everything, you know. <laughs> they don't try and... Um, they're reliable. They're always there on time. Yeah. Their system is good. That they their, their training is good. Um, and in, in Sweden, they have. I mean, you know, the Swedes might correct me, but my understanding is they have a coupon system. Right. So you get to eighteen, 
you're given a coupon for X number of thousand Swedish kroners, right. and then colleges, some of them independent, yeah. can set up and say, give me a token, we'll run this course. Okay. And then they take that token to the government and they get paid. Right. So it's a sort of free market in education. Yeah. And there are, and there have been, and it's a changing situation, but there are colleges where people go for two years, mm. they, do, they do work placements in the Alps, they do... Um, experience up in Sweden yeah. and when they come out of that they have a sort of formal tourist education they're oh. just amazing Okay. and they're you know great skiers some of them are, they have a good solid group of free skiers a lot of them mm. a lot of our Swedish instructors compete on the free ride qualifier tour yeah, yeah. Um, WQ and they do really well mm. uh, we follow them and try and help them as much as we can um, yeah. yeah, I mean they're just brilliant. I just was headed by Jonas Sundstedt. He he's been in charge of that for twelve, fifteen years. Okay. It's, um, yeah, it's really successful. The other place I saw loads of Swedes was um, Andermatt. Yeah. I don't know why they're there either, but it's it's amazing, isn't it? How these little things grow, you know, just from yeah. maybe one movie or yeah, or yeah. whatever. Um, no, they love it. They love it. But I mean, a bit like Nanda, they are. Um, they have lots of Dutch clients. Yeah. You know, so we just fit to them, fit to the market a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, can't sing their praises enough, Swedes. Just fantastic. Yeah, nice people in my experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've even learnt a little bit of sweet, a tiny bit of sweet. <laughs> <laughs> now there's some I can, thank, I can thank the clients for choosing a ski school in Swedish. But oh, well, that's all right. I'm not going to do it now because it'll, it'll get... Uh, Trouble with the Scandinavians, of course. They're all so good at English. Like, you just... Yeah. Like, exactly. Yeah, okay. And then... Okay, so fine. Oh, ES ride, snowboard section. Yeah. Um, I don't want to leave anyone off. But yeah, that's those are, those are our three. What is sub, this sub Bramble Ski thing that I see? On oh, that's a that different thing? company. They just oh, right, they're a different thing entirely. They just sublet that office. Okay, so. all right, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Shout out to Bramble Ski. Yeah. Um, cool, all right. Do you want to tell me, we won't dwell on it too long, but how did you get, end up involved in skiing? Because you clearly come a long way. But I'd love to have a sort of mini potted CV or resume of right, how well, you got to here. I um, I went on an inter-ski holiday with my um, dad and they have a, an award system which they still have, a, um, a star system. And right. I got the fire, we went for two weeks. Inter-ski and Aosta. Inter-ski and Aosta. Oh, wow. And it was, I don't know, it must have been like, I mean, I actually learned to ski, started skiing at Harrogate Dry Slope. Okay. 1982. And on the way there, you know, I, I come from Sheffield, and Sheffield was a big industrial city, and the last sort of big, heavy jobs that were there in any great numbers were the, were the collieries, yeah. the pits. And there was a pivot from industry to leisure. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was there last week, and in what was the Don Valley, Yeah. you know, there's now, the, there's now arenas and shopping centres and... You know, you can eat Swedish meatballs at the IKEA in what was a heavy rolling mill. You <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's transitioned. And actually, on, when we were, I remember when we were on the way to go skiing for the first time. Mm. If you remember in the miners' strike, there were all those battles between the police. And yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. As yeah. we drove north to Harrogate, the opposite side of the motorway was just as far as the eye could see tr- white transits full of police on their way to the collieries right. south of Sheffield. Mm-hmm to do battle with the miners so it was at that time learnt ski there then it became uh, holidays very lucky to yeah. do that with my dad and that was just a thing we did together and then it was a turning point on this when I was 12, 13 on this in-ski holiday and to get the six star you had to do what was a called a ref mel 
right. with Mel Mellon, who was like the chief instructor. Okay. And he was like this old, and he had to, we had to meet him in the bar the night before, and he sort of regaled us with stories of, you know, overtaking people in slalom races. And right. Bizarre, like, <laughs> it was really like all the other instructors were sort of in awe of him. And yeah. Anyway, so we went, to, it involved a ski test with him. So we went off and we did the ski test, and as some sort of like portend of the future, during that ski test, we were stopped by the Calabinari, uh, who had who were carrying guns, you know, and they checked his papers and his yeah, yeah, yeah. license and whatever, and it was very interesting. It was like, oh, yeah, you know, and he said, oh, you should, and I think his think I think his understanding of racing was a bit out of date because he said, oh, your son, you know, he should he should be like, you know, British team, or, and he, of course it was the the game had moved on. Yeah, I then did racing, very lucky. In my teens, did camps and stuff. And by the time I got to 17, 18, there was a new generation of kids coming through who were just miles ahead of the rest of us. Mm-hmm. So, and when I was in the juniors, there were people like Emma Carrick Anderson who I remember beat at the down in the Super G. I don't know what you must be 1990. Yeah. She was maybe 14 and she beat. She not only beat all the other girls, but she shared a course, which is rare mm. in racing. She beat all the junior boys by four seconds. Wow. Um, and me, probably, I don't know, by about a minute or something, but the, <laughs> by the fastest junior boy, she was four seconds. I just remember these these numbers because it was so like yeah, startling. Yeah. And then there were people like Johnny Muldebrand. They were all coming through then. So then I switched into uh, instructing, did my Bayesie. Was that around, just to go back to that, was that around the time the transition, it must have been, between parabolic skis and straight skis? No, that, Early was, 90s, that was later. A bit later. That was later, yeah. I remember reading something about how it was a bit crazy around that time because you you know guys didn't know which type of skis to take to, to, to races, right? Because you had, and maybe around that time, maybe a slightly bit later on, you had guys who were kind of decimating the field because, because they were on... On, I guess more more, yeah, more the, equipment that we would use well, there now. Were, yeah, there were rumours at that time that the top top racers had much bigger side cuts. Yeah, and the materials to make that work, the torsional rigidity mm. was so expensive that mm. it could only be for them. And then slowly it came through to yeah, yeah. to everybody. But when I was in when I worked in, in America later on, they introduced those skis into our skis into our into our rental yeah. department on this other yeah. mountain I worked in as a method to fast track to parallel. Yeah, which didn't really work. It was like three hours to parallel or something. So they yeah. told us we had to get people up the mountain, and, and it was <laughs> three hours. <laughs> it was three hours. It didn't work, even with these fancy new lightweight, super short skis. You know, no. it, was, it didn't. It didn't work. But it was much better than yeah. it was before. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. You know, not counting all the injuries they caused. Yeah. yeah. But uh, all right. So you switched then racing yeah, into yeah racing into coaching. Yeah. Did my Basie. Um Under eighteen, left school. Went to univer- Went to didn't go to university. Um, went to New Zealand, um, started teaching down there in, in Tūrua, um, and then I did back-to-backs, and three in New Zealand, three in Australia, um, and after the first season in New Zealand, I thought, right, I'm going to try and work in like all the most famous places, you know, so I was coaching for the Kandahar at the time, came back to Kitsville, got off there, and I thought, right, this is it, I'm going to work in Kitsville, and it was the winter of 91, no, 92, 93, mm-hmm. And as it says in the, in your other podcast with Phil, yeah. he couldn't really remember the date, but there was a season where, coming to the politics later, mm. where everyone had pretty much worked all over Europe freely. Yeah. And there's one season when that changed, and that was that season. Okay. Because there was no snow. 
Ah. See, so I spent a week in two in, in Kidsbill, couldn't mm. get a job, flew home, got in my old Vauxhall Chevette and drove up to Aviemore and then worked the next two seasons there. Yeah. Just because there had been no snow in Kidsbill mm. at, at that time. And in France, I know we'll come to this later, but in France that season, you had all those instructors working for the tour operators that nobody had ever cared about. Mm. You know, the, the French guys would be sitting there in the bar with their coffee in the morning, no clients, because the French could look at the weather and not come. Yeah. Whereas the Brits had booked. They were busy. The, fl- yeah. the planes had been booked, they'd come. The buses would roll up in all the little resorts. The British instructors would get on with their clients, so they'd go off to Tina or over to ski. Yeah, yeah. So they had work, but your average French instructor, French client staying mm-hmm. away, all it's going to cost him is he's got his you know, rabbit hutch, whatever, his car. They had no work. Mm. So that turned up the heat politically. Yeah. And it was from 2 3 that, that it, it suddenly became much harder. Especially with the, 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 the European, certainly French mindset, which is it's my right to work, as opposed to maybe a more of an Anglo. Anglo is it, Phil talked about this too. Yeah. You know, your average French uh, instructor who's sitting there, sort of, you know, he hasn't got any work, but he's expecting to know. You know, I should yeah. have my, I should have work. It's how it is. Yeah. It's how, how these things work. I mean, whereas you're, you know, the Anglophone yeah. guys will literally go out there and grab people in, yeah, market to them and drag them through the door, and that's why they're working. I mean, in a in a sense, in a sense, if you if you look at that attitude of the, I mean, we, we're kind of skipping a bunch of stuff here, but mm. we'll come back to it. Yeah. If you look at that attitude. He expects to have work. Mm. He should expect to have work because what stands behind him is a highly effective supply-side control. Yes. So he knows that if he's out there, he is one of a number that's been allowed through and the number shouldn't meet the, the, the needs of the market. In fact, it shouldn't quite meet them mm. so that they are... Busy all the time. Busy all the time. Yeah. Like when you arrive in Paris on the train and you try and get a taxi... There's a huge queue. I try not you to. Know. <laughs> you know, I've only done it a few times, yeah, but yeah. there is a huge queue, and you, everyone's always complaining. Yeah. But the taxi driver, no doubt, has, you know, there's some, there's probably some sort of equivalent licensing oh, thing. Guarantee it. You know, and just like the butter mountain, you know, all those things mm-hmm. are all about supply controlling the government, controlling the, the supply side. So mm-hmm. they expect that because they have an effective government that controls the supply side and. As we'll hear later. So you're, the in, you're, side, yeah. you're in. Uh, it's really you're in. Boring, isn't no, it? no. Okay, tell me. all fun. We'll come to all this nonsense. Well, you know, we're not here to. This is this is interviews between ski instructors, and and <laughs> you know, quite frankly, I mentioned in a couple of episodes b- uh, before. I don't really care if people listen or not. This is just for me. That's interesting. Yeah. So you know, let's let's do what we do. So you're 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 in Aviemore. You did two seasons there. Yeah, back to back New Zealand and Australia. Aviemore then went to California. Oh, cool. Yeah, did a couple of seasons out there. So mm. the first four, so by the first four years, the first six, 18 to 24, the first six years, mm. I was just doing back-to-back yeah. seasons. So Learning your craft, in a Yeah, I mean, two a year, 18, 19, 20, 21. So by the time I turned 22, I'd already had eight seasons teaching mm. under my belt. But at that age, you still look pretty young. So, yeah. Um, a lot of my contemporaries at that time going through the education in Bayesley and so on, they took a different route. Everybody was in Aviemore mm-hmm. in the beginning. And it was, if you come to Verbia now, there are 18 ski schools, lots of British instructors here, Val Zare, it's the same. Yeah. The scene, if you like, is here. But yes. then 
it was in Scotland. Okay. And going to work in Europe was the next big sort of challenge. And it was like, well, where, how do we do it? Where do we go? Can we, do we have the right? It was the big question. Mm. But I went a different direction, went to the States for a couple of years, okay. which was interesting. And lots of Brits over there too. Lots of, yeah, people, yeah. Lots of opportunity there. Um, big focus on customer service. Yeah. And I think, I think that was pretty formative. We're in a small resort, mm. working with lots of Australians. Um, and their ski resorts and their attitude and their approach is very, um, is very um, customer-centred. Yes. And in New Zealand and Australia, I, you're competing there with French instructors, Danish instructors, people from all over, you know, competing mm. in that you're working in the same ski school yeah. and you're trying, you know, a bunch of us are trying to be the most requested and, and that sort of thing. So mm. you can see then who's good at what and, and what, you know, it's... It, very much a free market down there within the ski school mm. and you can you can work out you know you just, those first six seasons really quite I'm glad I did it like that because it mm. you know, opens up opens your eyes to different yeah. systems whereas a lot of people aim squarely at France at that time pre this is all pre-Eurotest mm. the mm. eight years before the Eurotest came in yeah and so you did your form, and, and then what did, so then did you come here and start up no I went to Courchevel Okay. rang Basie they said oh there's a French guy who's uh, had my level 4 by this point right. there's a French guy called Jean-Yves who you should go and try and work for he's very litigious he's made a lot of progress He's he was the first independent ski school mm-hmm. after one in Val d'Isère French owned one and he has made um, <coughs> he's made um, a lot of progress fighting the authorities for recognition of his school right to use the priority and he's mm-hmm. established we should go and work for him he was actually the CEO of Bayes at the time he said oh why don't you try and so I rang him up and I ended up working there for four or five years okay yeah. Yeah, which was which was an interesting time yeah it sounds like it <laughs> yeah it sounds like it okay and then what led you to here to, to Verbier and Zermatt and uh, I mean there's clear targeting of higher end name resorts is that yeah. part of the plan yeah, the plan is for for yes, yeah, just to be in the best the best resorts. Um, we actually actually came out of full time teaching for a year. Went lived in the UK. Mm. Uh, by that time, I was a, an examiner for Basie. Okay. Used all my holidays maintaining that. Um, you had to do a reappraisal every two years at that time. Yeah, you had to ski to level four at that time, and um, you had to you know it's quite it's quite hard. So I had to do that and I had to run a course and. Mm. So yeah, I spent a bit of time away, and then we came back, and we went to work for Mark McKellar in okay. in Avoras for a season, oh, right. um, just to sort of right. I'm going to come back to skiing now, and and then we we looked around at different resorts and came here, worked for one of the ski schools here, and saw that there was a huge need for um, a higher quality option. Mm. There were some good ski there were some good ski schools, but nothing really offering the level of customer service that I'd seen in the states. Yeah. Or that in Australia or in New Zealand, yes, you know, it was all very, um, you know, it's all very much about the ski instructor and not the client. Strange, um, that isn't it? I always think that's strange. I think it's just the way it develops. You know, like the cult it, of the ski instructor. In most, you know, I mean, in most countries in Europe, there traditionally was one ski school. Yeah. Um, normally wearing red. Mm-hmm. You know, the ESF in France, the ESS in Switzerland, mm-hmm. and. There's another ski school here, La Fantastique, who I work for. Yeah. It's good, it's mm-hmm. flexible. And the, the schools now here, at that time, it was groups of 15, 
Mm. You know, not not in like in, in in the main school. And now it's changed. They're really good, really competitive. Mm. They've really responded to the to the um, to the competition. Warren said that. He said that yeah. everyone's game gets yeah. upped by someone being good. Yeah, which definitely. I think is is fair. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the things we the training stuff we do with our instructors. <laughs> believe you went back and said in ten years you'll be doing, you know advanced wine education for your instructors <laughs> you know you'd, you'd go yeah. really and be like yeah and so we, we, move, we move on you know and um, yeah so then we, we saw we saw a gap and we thought right, we'll, we'll try and do something hmm. here and a few different things happened and a group there were a group of girls in town who were going to start a girls only ski school cool and something went wrong with their planning and they said can we join you so I was like yeah, yeah great so we had a bunch of girls join us and mm-hmm. um yeah, from one thing led to another, and we started off fairly small and and developed from there. We started the year after Altitude. Yeah. Another one of our competitors here. Uh, and bizarrely, the guy that started Altitude, yeah. I'd got him a job where I'd been working in California. Oh, really? Yeah. And then the next time I saw him was back at Sheffield Ski Village where yeah. I'd, done, I'd done some teaching since I was 15. and. He was there going, oh, yeah, I'm off to Verbier. This was the year before we started. I'm off to Verbier, started ski. So I was like, oh, bro, brilliant. I'm moving to Verbier too. Yeah. And he was like, oh, see you so, there. Yeah, <laughs> see you there. <laughs> Three years later, we're having inter-ski school rugby matches and uh, competition and all sorts of dramas. I have to say, listen, uh, the reason that I can't hire any uh, any girls in my ski school, we, we just don't get the applications for them, is because they all come here to Verbier. This is where they all come. Really? Yeah. I we think so. yeah we aim for half half really yeah and you get that I, uh, we our I, so I just went through this recruitment process as you might have seen yeah. we're nowhere near that didn't even get that many applications maybe mm, one no we we get 80 20 80% yeah. male which means in a sense we probably positively discriminate against the men but we aim for 50 50 and that's in the non patons because mm. in in the paton side of the school it's it's 95 you know uh, yeah. male there just aren't that many there are women going through but they tend to be in German speaking Switzerland they stay in their village and yeah, it's right. really hard to find them for a full set level um, we should explain listener that the patent is a is a local um, qualification in Switzerland that is un- the patent is unique to the valley and it, what it means is that if you have one of those uh, you can employ a certain number of ski instructors of a lesser level below it's, that. It's the full cert Swiss, yeah. It's not even called the Patron, is it? Uh, yeah. I think the Patron is the, yeah, the yeah, local yeah, but it's, one. It's part of the... Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's a higher... It tends to be very ...federal much. level above that. But in our non-Patron team, it's, yeah. um, we aim for... And we don't quite get there every year, and it's uh, we aim for 50-50. And we, the That's reason good. we do that is because it's proven in lots of studies. Lots of studies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, cover all, say something, make it sound clever, but... It's true. If you have a team that's half and half, yeah. you have much more harmony. Really? Yeah, it's been proven, and you you um, you get less grief, less cliques, less. You know, I mean, if you have a biscuit factory, say, or a mm. food place, which where which tend to employ predominantly women, and you have a couple of guys, you know, pushing the pushing the forklift or something, mm. they tend to get picked on really exactly. badly. And in another environment, say like a city firm, very male dominated. Mm. Can be very hard for those women in that in that environment. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. The, the male female balance is important, and we aim for half half. And I think a lot of female instructors are doing it for the right reasons. Mm. They have less ego. Um, parents often prefer it for their children. 
sometimes, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's sometimes, for sure. You know, sometimes yeah. we get a request. Sometimes people, women, maybe who've lost a bit of confidence, who want a ski lesson, sometimes request a female as well. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, more so for the for when they want to, for their children. But mm. yeah, so and also it's fair, isn't it? I mean, there's all this talk in the news of gender pay gaps and all that sort of thing. There is, yeah, but I think, I, I, you know, and I've seen a lot of stuff written recently in various industry press about trying to increase you know, the number of women that are coming through. And I've looked at that and I've just said, well, that's just not my, you know, I don't want to shoot down things mm, like this and mm. I'm, I'm not sitting here presenting myself as a you know, patriarchal ski instructor or, or ski school director. But we just simply know the evil I, patriarchy. Yeah, there is yeah. yeah, yeah, the evil patriarchy of ski school directors. But um, there is literally just not as many women that apply. Yeah, as there are men, and yeah. men seem to be more attracted to this industry, and I don't know why. And then you know it 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 follows then that if you're uh, if there are less women, they will go to the more attractive places, which is why Verbier has them all. It's why Zermatt probably has them all. They're in places like Chamonix. You know, they're not going to come to some backwater village in... in uh, well, don't, in do, don't, don't do it down. It's a nice... Uh, oh, it's all right. But it, it, it's, but it doesn't hold the same draw yeah. necessarily yeah. as the bigger resorts. And, yeah. and, oh, that's, that's fair enough, you know. That's, yeah. I'm not going to solve that with any kind of positive or, or discrimination otherwise. You know? yeah. It's just not... It just yeah. is what it is, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Um, so, yeah. So, sue me if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> sue me. Whoever's in charge of that in Switzerland... <laughs> <laughs> Your male instructors will sue me for not giving them a yeah, job. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's go on then because this has come up a couple of times. Do you want to? Do you want to go down? Do you want to look at ski instructor qualifications through the prism of Brexit? I think it might be, might be a useful place to go because Brexit's coming up. Yeah. Maybe. Depending oh, on the machinations of, of the UK Parliament, it clearly affects. You know, you're in Verbier. It's hard to speak French here sometimes. There's a lot of British people here. A lot of British instructors are, are here. Um, I even went into the commune. You know, I'm pretty confident in what's going to go on. But I went into the commune the other day and said to you know the, the very lovely lady there, "Hey, what's happening? You know, am I going to be all right this winter?" And they said, "Yeah, it's no problem. You're a bit like us." Now. Yeah. And so that's good, but... Uh, Are you on a beat? Are you on a sea or... I'm, yeah, so I'm very, very lucky to be married to my wife, and she is Swiss, huh. so I'm on a B permit here, and I'm going for a Swiss passport next year. Oh, good luck. Which will be good. We've just done that. Oh, good. Yeah, we just got that, so... I think it will be, it's going to be super interesting. Um, it took three years. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a ski instructor card anymore, expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the tests are arguably harder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so my point is, is that, and I'm wondering this, I'm going to wonder this out loud. If I'm Basie, the British Association of Social Sports Instructors, it's a private company, and what it does is it, it has put itself in charge of authorising qualifications for ski instructors mm. who are qualified through the British system, what happens when Brexit comes? Because I'm wondering whether it has their agreements have any validation then in, in you know within EU law. I think in Switzerland we're separate. Yeah, and it's here. Yeah, you know, there's sure. there's the mind the gap deal, which should the Swiss and the British have done a deal called mind the gap, which 
should cover us in an, in the in the event of a no deal. Yes. Should. Um, in France, it depends really on the, the deal that is ultimately done. Mm-hmm. Um, between and that could be before Brexit, and that could be after Brexit. Mm. Um, in terms of freedom of movement, there could be an implication for people who've not established themselves in France. Mm-hmm. And I, I know there are a lot of British instructors who have set up a company in the UK. I'm going to use a resort where I don't know anyone. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. So, Champagny en Vanois yeah. Limited. Okay. Champagny en Vanois Ski School Limited. And it operates somehow in England. And then it seconds people. So, there's that whole. EU thing where you can second someone from a company, yeah, and and you know that already that's the way it works now, and that already is up for question because realistically it has to be an operating business in one country which sends someone to the other country. So yep. a lot of them have a business which just operates in Champagne or mm-hmm. and sends people from the UK there, and there's no activity in the EU. So that, that's one question which yep. didn't seem to matter when we were in the EU. Mm-hmm. The next question is our membership of the EU obliges them to obliges the French to recognise our qualifications. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be that that obligation is part of a future deal. Yes. Certainly a transition period, it would remain. Could be a very, we'll have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, separate to that, is whether or not you can work in that country. Mm-hmm. Now, before, if you wanted to work in America, or if you wanted to work in Switzerland, if you are from Australia, there was a way. You can get a work permit, the employer has to do more, they have to prove they've looked everywhere and they can't find someone. Mm-hmm. So work permits were a thing, are a thing, if you work in Australia, New Zealand, yeah. America. And there could well be a work permit arrangement, which will cover it. Well, for example, you try being a South African who wants to work in Switzerland. It's not possible. It's not possible, but it is possible if you pay them enough salary and if you're a pharmaceutical company mm. and you want to bring someone, you can. You prove their expertise. Yeah. You apply for a permit, and if you meet the criteria, you'll get it. You'll probably have to pay them a high minimum salary. Yeah. So it might work. Um, so in France, I imagine there'll be something similar. I don't imagine they'll make it any easier than they have to. <laughs> but maybe one outcome of Brexit is that that stuff will get scrutinised. Yes. You know, they are not letting me work here, but they should. Will get more attention from the civil servants mm. than it would have done before. Yeah, when they could just put our issue into a, a big basket of other issues and trade it against, you know, yes, some other thing that they're negotiating. So, mm. um, I think I think Brexit is a shock. It's going to be a shock for the people in France, but there will be ways around it. Mm. And the ones that will do well, as always, you know, when we changed from the Scottish, everyone was in Scotland, and everyone's in France, then everyone's in Switzerland. Where well, each time the wheel turns over the last thirty years. Some people have progressed and prospered. Yes. Other people have not coped with the change. And some people stayed in Scotland. Still yeah. there. And, you know, they're fine. Great people. Doing all ski schools at that. Brilliant. Some people are not going to be able to cope with the fact that everything they've been told and trained for has now changed. Mm-hmm. And they need to set up a French company. And that company will need to apply for a work permit for them. It'll be like, well, it hasn't been like this before and I'm not, I refuse to change. But the ones yeah. that will change, that will adopt that, I don't know how it's going to work, but the ones that will be able to find out, do what's necessary. It'll be those. They, with, those, where, those guys will prosper. It'll be those yeah. with better connections and and an understanding of the language and uh, the administration and bureaucracy that comes with 
say operating in France or Italy or, yeah. or wherever and or just the willingness to, to look into it <laughs> yes you know and yeah. it, it, whether you can work in a country is not Basie's business mm. um, it's something that you have to find out and go and do mm. like, you can't expect Basie to um, you know be involved in work negotiations in 192 countries around the world you've got to you know, give you a qualification it can be designed to fit certain things as they are mm. um but yeah, I, I think I think for us it is a worry. We're, we are looking at measures to... The Swiss deal may work, may not. We're mm. looking at ways to get around that. We're hiring more non-Brits. Um, yeah, it's tricky. It's mm. a worry, and we're following it. I mean, it's quite interesting. I've been following it for a while, yeah. and all of a sudden a lot of other people are following it in great <laughs> detail. <laughs> I'm like, well, it's a little bit late now, you know, to yeah, yeah. getting messages, you know, saying, oh, this has happened, that's happened. I'm like, well... You know, yeah. this is long, been doing it's a the long last two story. Years. Yeah. I, I think it would be good. I mean, people, you hear people <coughs> talking about the uncertainty. Mm. I think it needs to be done. You know, it needs. We need either to enter a transition period, or we need to be out. Um, it's the same thing for all these things, isn't it? People talk about the FX markets. You know, people are worrying about the exchange rate. We yeah. talked about it earlier. Yeah. And um, FX markets rely on certainty. You know, yeah. so one way or the other, it doesn't matter which way. Yeah. But just give us something, yeah, and stop all this messing around. Mm. We need it. We need it to be finished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. one way or another. Yeah. You know, it's it's a very tricky, weird situation that they've got. The the, the I thing mean, I fear for. Oh, go on. No, I mean, no, go on. Mm. The thing I fear for a little bit is maybe it's quite a negative outlook, but this is this is maybe the way I'm viewing it is that going back to what you were saying about the uh, the years when your French Galois smoking ESF uh, guy was sitting in his cafe watching you all not go us, out not, not meeting. Me. I mean, I was oh, in no, America, yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah, but yeah. watching uh, the instructors going out and, and, and servicing the British clients. Those things stay long in the memory. Yeah. And the Alpine families have been in the, the mountains for a long time. They've seen waves of people come and go, try and do business in their backyard. Yeah. They're experts at playing a long game. Yeah, we talked about this earlier. Yeah, I wonder as much as as much as there is of talk between unity between the European nations and the British. I wonder as soon as everyone's out, then things are going to change radically, and it's going to be very very difficult to work. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's my view. I think of how things are going to go. All of a sudden, things are going to be the doors will start to close. Yeah, and then all of a sudden your average French, Italian or Austrian instructor has got loads more work, more work than they can handle. It's good for them, it's good for their families, it's good for everybody. I, I mean, I think if you look at the total numbers of clients and total numbers of instructors, if you if all the British instructors disappeared overnight, mm. they wouldn't feel much of a benefit. Mm. I don't think there are enough. And you, you've got to remember that, you know, only 5% of the British ski instructors out there Mm. can work in France. Mm. They can all work in Switzerland. Yeah. Um, but only 5% can work in France. And the total number is maybe two or 300. Mm. Um, and yeah, they'll, they'll notice a benefit. The, the, the destinations will, will not feel a benefit because the people who go there, in the worst case scenario, won't be able to have their regular ski instructors. Yeah. And that will be bad. Mm -hmm. Bad for them, bad for the ski instructor, bad for the destination. And they'll then have to find something else. And a friend of mine went to Val d'Isere with his family and rang me up and said, can you recommend anyone? So I rang a few people. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, well, I could do three o'clock on Tuesday. 
Yeah. I was like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking for like 10 a.m. every day for a couple of hours. Oh, laughed at me. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, the demand is so limited mm-hmm. that people are starting group lessons in, in Chatel at three o'clock in the afternoon. I've and, seen those. And for us in Switzerland, yeah. that is unbelievable. Yeah. You know, I mean, how, you know, the, the state, the ski instructor union, the village, are in a situation where the supply is so limited mm. that people's children have their ski lessons starting at 3.30 in the afternoon. Mm. After lunch, when they're tired. Mm. And, and bad snow. On bad snow that's yeah. all chopped up from, I mean, yeah. awful. But I mean, how, you, how that can be acceptable to the destination, mm. never mind the country or their touristic authorities, you know, France Tourism or oh, you, Savoir you know, or the Région Mont Blanc yeah. or any of those organisations. Mm. They've got tons of those organisations. I know, pumping I know out, those guys. Pumping out millions yeah. in promotion. And then they get the clients yeah. there to beautiful places with yeah. fantastic lifts that the state has paid for. Yeah. And then they can't, you know, they can't, can't, ski, can't find it. Is yeah. it any wonder that skiing is on the decline slowly when this one element of um, the, the experience yeah. in those places, in the front, the most popular place, is so not bad, but so it is bad. The ski ski lesson itself might be great. The ski instructor might be a thundering professional with his level four, but it's no good if your client has to wait till three in the afternoon. You know, it's no good if he has to be in a group of twelve or fifteen or ten or even forty-five. You know, I saw forty-eight, forty-five instruct kids with two instructors in in Leger a few years ago. I tweeted it. I got a letter two weeks later from. A lawyer saying, "Well, you must retract this. It wasn't forty-five." And I was like, "Okay." Well. <laughs> it wasn't forty-five. It was only thirty-eight. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, put a, I put a little. I put a little. Um, I put a little retraction up. Slight adjustment in the facts. And they said, "No, no, no, no." no. I said, "Okay." And then they sent me a, like a twelve hundred euro bill saying, "You must pay this." And I said, "Well, no, I'm not going to pay it. You can come to Switzerland and try and make me pay it." Yeah, yeah. But there is the photo. There is the evidence. You know, you can only challenge it so far, and I never heard from them again. Yeah. But the groups are enormous. Yeah. Not in the little British ski schools. No. But I don't think they. I don't think they can cover their market on their own. So mm-hmm. the supply is, you know, the, the market of British clients who want a native English speaking instructor. Mm-hmm. If I was the ESF, and this is the fascinating challenge, if I was running the ESF, I would say, well, we've got people coming from Eastern Europe to work as ski instructors. You've got the Brits all over the place. How do we respond to this? Mm. Instead of politically trying to limit them and keep them out and I would respond with saying well let's teach these let's teach our local guys to speak English yeah. properly yeah let's make the product better you know but that's maybe the, the Anglo-Saxon approach you know I think it is you know. yeah you know the, 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 there's more to it I think with the guys in these these red schools you know it's a bit more it's tradition it's yeah. valleys it's you know that kind of families that kind of thing I don't think you're going to get that you, you maybe in 20 years time you might get that I think there's a more and more of the younger population in yeah. these mountain villages you know can speak fluent English yeah. and, and, and probably can cater and but that, you're still not going to get the same nuances uh, yeah, of I, you know I, language I and, don't know I don't think I think the clients don't mind it there's the instructor he speaks your language yeah. with a nice local accent yeah. he has better local knowledge probably yeah. although the for, for foreign instructor could learn that stuff he goes into a mountain restaurant. It's his uncle or his cousin. Yeah, you know, true. And it's I help them choose the wine, and you should try this one. I mean, that's much more powerful than try the try the try the doll. Yeah. You know, and if you go in there, well, it's my uncle, and this is our special. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. My little cloth of you know grapes, and oh, you know, clients love that stuff. 
Yeah, it's true. But not when the lesson starts at three thirty. And <laughs> well, that is, I've seen the guys trying to sell that lesson before. You know, the moaning that they can't sell the three o'clock sessions. I'm like, I, I, I just. Well, yeah. we, like I said, we were based in Switzerland, right? Yeah. You, you don't sell the three o'clock lesson. <laughs> yeah, you just don't. We, we didn't even offer it. I mean, because it's, yeah, it's, we it's can barely sell a one o'clock lesson. I mean, you know, it's like mm. people want the whole day. That's it. You know. Well, yeah. Or the morning. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, yeah. I, it just didn't occur to me to yeah. just to sell a three o'clock lesson because mm. why would you? Snow's mm. crappy. It's a bit colder. Yeah. You know. I, I mean, on, on Brexit for Switzerland. Just yeah. 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 Please um, do. Theresa May's government did a deal with the Swiss mm. to mitigate the effect of a no deal. Because Switzerland is not in the EU, it's free to do its mm-hmm. negotiations to a certain extent. So they've done a deal, brilliant. There is no limit after the end of next month on the number of Brits who can go and the number of Swiss who can go and work in Britain. Yes. It's great come and work. In the opposite direction for short term work permits, mm. there is a fifteen hundred limit, which mm. they say covers all of our needs. Mm. I don't know. I mean, yeah, you're taking skip- up most of the well, says <laughs> I mean, I take. I would take up a chance. You know, yeah. without without the Brits, we st- we of our thirty five instructors, we actually only have maybe twelve Brits in in the yeah. team there now in the full time team. So over time, we've got ready for this. But it's um, you know, this, are we all in this limit? I don't know. I don't believe mm. it. So we're we're taking extra steps to try and be ready. But yeah. Um, it was a terrible. Whoever did that deal has, I mean, you know, it's part of that government. So it's the same inept if negotiating that's going on. If you, if you on are listening, business. if I uh, yeah. imagine any civil servant has got that much time to get this far into this podcast, but yeah, if you are listening, that yeah. quota has to go. The Swiss, the Swiss government should should let that go because um, if it was applied in the other direction, mm. um, the Swiss banks' operations in London would be. Yeah. Severely limited to, to employ the people they need on short term permits. No, you're right. Um, you're right. I hope you're enjoying uh, the chat that I've had with, with Julian. Um, it was really, really good to spend some time with him, and it was lovely to chat about you know his early years in the uh, within snow sports um how all these guys came up I, i'm fascinated by these stories um and also uh and then and then coming up as our as our conversation continues we go into the intricacies of the history of this thing that we have over here the the, the, the euro test um how it how it came to be and the history of british instructors in in europe and how how people were able to set up in the early years um that's quite quite interesting and you'll hear a, a different perspective maybe than you've heard before um from from julian which i think is uh, is going to be of interest to everybody we went on to talk about growing the business and and how you, you scale up a ski school from just being one man with the telephone to, to, to something bigger um which is of, of personal interest to, to to me also um the next episodes hopefully are a, a little less um a little less technical um i think i might be going stateside for a couple of those um speaking to uh some super interesting um um people that i've got lined up there so um enjoy the second half of this and uh and, and i will see you on the next episode Okay, we um, we share a, a well. You talked earlier. We touched on your, your friend uh, Jean-Yves. Yeah. Uh, hello to Jean-Yves if you're listening. 
um, eccentric great. Frenchman. Fantastic. It's a Mijou, great guy. Yeah. Great guy. He's he's the guy who's also involved um, with Simon Simon Butler and his some some of his uh, yeah some of his uh, uh, interesting things that have happened to him over the last last while yeah um, I'd like to say I introduced them but well I probably I probably can. shouldn't admit to that. You're more, I think you're more linked to, into into all this than I realise but um, he's doing some interesting things to do with France we might as well touch on that yeah. while we're talking about yeah. it um, specifically in connection with uh, the pathway that is sold to everybody as this is the pathway to being to working in France yeah do you want to expand on some of the thoughts that we shared earlier on, on yeah that? I mean I mean Jean-Yves basic mission is to make the European project work he's not a crazy euro federalist he's not anything like that but mm. basically a free market in labor is meant to be that people can move around and practice their thing. In his area, his specialisation, he had one of the biggest independent, one of the first, and, and for a while, one of the biggest independent ski schools in France. Ultimately, it was closed down by the, the French government, and that sounds like an, an outlandish claim, but it, it, it's the truth. And mm. he has found way, he found ways during his time as a, as a businessman to, to challenge the status quo. And, and because the listener might not understand this and I think a lot of British instructors don't understand this that the idea is, is of free movement is that people can move around mm. and they can work wherever they want and it is one of the, the four freedoms or whatever they talk about you know it's one of the fundamental cores yeah. of the European That's project, right. European project so obviously some jobs have 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 regulations obviously I'll start that again yes. obviously some yeah. jobs have regulations so in some countries, but not in others. Mm. So, doctors is a regulated profession everywhere. Yes. But some things are regulated in one country, but not in the other. Mm. So, if a doctor is qualified in England and he wants to go and work in France, there's probably a fairly established, well, difficult, but there's probably a fairly well established way to recognise his training. Yeah. And I'm sure there are problems in little tests, and they they will the administration will give the other European his rights, but they may not make it that easy. But it's established, both sides are regulated. Mm-hmm. Where one side isn't regulated, there's obviously a problem because they have a qualification, it might not be recognised by the government, or it might not be official in any way, and they're applying to work in a country where the people practising that profession have a government-recognised qualification. And this is a really important thing. Under European law, previously now, you had the right to go and work in the other country where the play, where the thing you did was regulated. When you went there, if they could prove, if the country you're going to could prove that your qualification was substantially different to their qualification, mm. they had the right then to ask you do, to do one of two things. They could ask you to do an aptitude test like the Euro test, or they could ask you to do they had to offer you both an adaptation period. Mm-hmm. So you go and you say, I'm a British instructor, I'd like to work in France. And they say, okay, you have a choice, adaptation period or aptitude test. They had to offer that choice by law because the European law didn't want countries to be able to say, mm, you've got to be able to do an aptitude test, make mm-hmm. it difficult. They want people to move around. The, the authorities in the country 
yeah. the subordinate authorities, the national governments, not the European government, mm-hmm. were obliged to offer that choice, test or adaptation period. As the Britons got, as the Brits got the right to work in France, they started to come out, started to work, and there was that season in '92 around then when, when there was no snow and that, the, the pressure started to build in France to keep mm-hmm. to keep them out, <clears throat> and they realised that, okay, so we're going to make them ask for permission, and then we're going to have to prove that there's a substantial difference. So Basie, looking at this, and quite cleverly, Bob Kinnaird and, and those guys... And, and Ooh, just before we go there, I yeah. think it's, it's, it's important to point out, as I understand it, which I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm right, is that in the UK, skiing is not a regulated profession. Ski instructing is not you a regulated... do whatever you want. Do whatever you want, yeah. As long as you're insured, yeah. I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not regulated. So yeah. there is an organisation, Basie, which trains instructors, but it's not in any way an official government thing. No, or, it's a private company. You know, they've tried to get, gain some sort of official thing, but it is essentially a private member's thing. So... Mm. It's not even a private member's thing. Before well, you go around, so, yeah. it's a limited company. But it's yeah, just limited, a but yeah, company. yeah. So, yeah. So, hmm. Basie looked at this and said, "Okay, well, is our qualification substantially different?" This was around the time that I was, I was, I was joining, and they said, "Well, look, it is because they do X number of weeks in France, and we actually do. You know, if each level had a two-week course, hmm. maybe there was two two-week courses, and and I, when I started the system, we it was like that. And as I went through, it changed." They improved it. They enlarged it. They added coaching modules. They mm-hmm. added uh, safety off-piece. They added all sorts of things. So it got bigger, much more expensive. And the number of weeks and the total hours suddenly matched the French system. Yeah. They designed it. They changed it to a thing which had no substantial difference. Okay. So they did that deliberately so that the French could not stop them. And the French saw this and they said, well... Okay, there is no substantial difference, so what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. So they went to the European Commission and they said, we would like an exemption from the obligation to ask for an adaptation period mm-hmm. because we think they're dangerous. They used safety to say, oh, these foreign instructors, they don't do the same racing that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're substantially, you know, they're, they're dangerous, so we must send them for the racing test to prove that they're safe. Okay. And the European Commission went, I mean, obviously, this is where a country's influence within the Commission is important. Mm-hmm. They came back and they said, great, you got it. Here's a derogation, it's called. So the derogation enabled the French government to send everybody to the Eurotest. Yes. It wasn't called the Eurotest, but essentially it was the, mm-hmm. it was the same thing. And then, in parallel to this they did a clever thing they said the Brits were complaining oh we're not, you know, we're not allowed to work in France you're sending us all to this Euro test we should be allowed there's no substantial difference they started to arc up mm-hmm. and so I think 12 of them 12 of the senior trainers plus the chairman went out to France were invited out and they said look we're going to put you through a test and you're going to do our slalom and you're going to do the free run and various the French make them do these bits of tests and they went out there and there's a picture of them it's in all those groups you know, mm-hmm. they're all standing there doing this test they all got home and they all failed. <laughs> Almost all of them. Right. A few weeks later, a few months later, the chairman at the time, Kenny Dixon, and if you talk to these guys, they'll tell you, Ian McKellar, he'll tell you, he may not on, on record, but popped up in Courchevel with his Scottish business called Old Masterclass. Um, masterclass, something like that. Teaching. And all the guys went to him and they said, Kenny, what are you doing? We all failed. And he's like, oh, well, I passed. And they were like, well, respectfully, you're one of the older 
guys here, you're the chairman, and whiskey better than you, and you know, <laughs> we don't think you must. And he went, oh, I'll see what I can do. And he went back, and then they were all given it. Uh. So there was this initial group of 12 who suddenly passed the test. Mm. And they said, well, look, what we're going to do is now is, is we want you to send your young fellas who are coming through to do the test of capacity, do the, you know, the, the kappa, mm. to do the test. And if they get that, they can come and work with you. And they all went out there and started their ski schools. And some of them, quite bravely, had already gone out, set up a thing, were putting pressure on the French, you know, those early, you know, challenging the authorities guys. Phil, mm. Phil kind of alluded to that. And they were, you know, together in this group, and then they were together in that group, and they were fighting here and there, quite yeah. brave. But essentially, they were given it. And then all the young blokes beneath them who were coming through the system were like, oh, yeah, I'm going to work for you. And the money was incredible. Yeah. Instead of working where everyone was working, it was like, come to France and earn... Yeah. You know, crazy money. Big money. Like more than £10 an hour. <laughs> yeah. And so then that, that whole group of people started to side with this idea that, well, you know, you would have debates about it. And you'd say, well, are we really, you know, is it really, are we really as good as them? Oh, well, yeah, we are. Because the same volume of the system. and this, this. Mm. Oh, yeah, but, but, but. And then as more and more people did the test, well, look, well I've done it, then you should do it. Mm. Why don't I train you for it? And more pressure started to build. Jean-Yves Ski School, we were fine. You know, we, we refused to do it. I come from a racing background. Mm. Everyone's like, Jim, why don't you do it? You used to race, you'd be fine. But like, well, it's not, it's not right, is it? You know, we, it's they, the principle of it. Oh, we should be allowed to work. Yeah, but you should do it, you should do it. Oh, but no, I'm not going to do it. So we went and we worked and we were arrested. And, you know, and then they, they tried to start a case. And then at the same time, the French were like, oh, my God, this is going to unravel on us. Because these guys, they have an equivalent qualification. They're here working. If they pursue, if if it's taken to the end thing, mm. so we need a solution. So the Austrians and the, this this test was a slalom. So the shortest type of alt turn in the Alpine, mm. you know, the, the most wiggly turns for the non-skier. If there are any non-skiers listening, it's quite general. The most specific type of racing, the hardest one to train for, if you like, is the giant slalom. Mm-hmm. You know, generalists might win a slalom and a downhill, a slalom and a GS, but the guys that win the GSs tend to just win the GS. It is mm. the most... Technical. Yeah, it's the most yeah. technical. It's the most specialised discipline. The Austrians, the Germans, the Italians already had a GS in their system. Mm. So they just went to the Austrians and said, look, if you call your existing giant slalom the Euro test, and you let a few of these pesky Brits come and do it it will solve a big problem for us mm. and it will help you because eventually they'll be wanting to open up in your resorts and um, let's call it the Euro test we'll change it, our slalom to a giant slalom because what these Brits are doing is they're coming out and they're training some of them used to put like they used to break off a branch from a pine tree mm. Sacrilege these days, but <laughs> people used to do that and stick the little twigs in like a slalom. You could train slalom anywhere. Yeah. You need 100 metres of snow. Mm. But giant slalom, you need a piece, you need yeah. more. So harder for us to train for that. It's a more specialised discipline. We don't really have you know, a few races, but the racing scene in Britain is quite small. Mm. Whereas in France, you've got the Club de Sport funded by the government. Yeah. So you've got a subsidised training regime producing many more races than could ever compete for France. So yeah. you have a locally subsidised training scheme for a pass. That's right. Well, um, yeah. For a system. So um, 
Or not only that, but the guys who drop out and don't get to Equipe de France or, or yeah, regionals, I mean, whatever. Yeah, great, a, great skiers, great there you races. Go. There's your, there's your, there's your Phil, income for yeah, the win. Phil, Phil says the same thing. Yeah. So great system for them. Great system for them. And what you have to understand at this point is that they then came to us and they said, well, they said, well, look, here's the thing. We're going to call it the Euro test. And you've got this four-level system now, three-level system, as it was then. We are going to, you've got 200 members. And they all want to work in France. Some of them are already working in France. So lots of them are doing training for this test and injuring themselves. And how about this? We will give you 200 full equivalences. We will give you 200 licenses to work in France for all of your top members. So they will be recognized in France. Mm-hmm. But from this point forwards, we will invite you to become part of the Eurotest group. And you will incorporate the Eurotest into your system. So rather than producing people who then apply to work in France, obliging the French to prove there's a substantial difference, Mm -hmm. therefore sending them to the test, and not the adaptation period, which they have a temporary exemption from, Mm -hmm. we're going to incorporate it into your system. So (laughs) not only have we stitched you up with the derogation, but we're then going to make you swallow the thing that we send you to as part of your system. And you can turn to your members and you can say... We've been recognised in France. All our top members are going over there. So, of course, if you were a level four at this point, happy days. Yeah. We all suddenly received full French equivalents. Mm-hmm. So there's that generation. They call this grandfathering. Yes. Which is a disingenuous term because it implies that, well, it all just moved on and we swept a few of the old boys along with it. Yeah. <laughs> so let's say there's been one or two people that have passed since. Yeah. So 200 of us were given it mm-hmm. and one or two a year. 19 years, 18 years, 36 guys. Maybe there's more than that. Yeah. Okay. Plus we all, you know, we can train them for it and it creates a thing. Mm. A funnel a through which. Yeah. Yeah. And so the guys that did the, I was just becoming a trainer at this time. And, and so I was still in, you know, I'm still like, I was still like, you know, I'd, I'd not stuck my neck out too far at this point. And I we had a meeting and I raised my hand and I said, you know, there's a trainer's meeting. It wasn't a board. I wasn't on the board. Or mm on the inner side of it so to speak said we are selling out because if we accept this mm-hmm. all our future members will have to go through this yeah. and the, what they have their, their route through falls way short of their European rights yeah and the chairman at the time walked towards me David pointing his finger saying no 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 it's not like this you can't say that so it was a lone voice because everybody else in the room was receiving the full equivalence yes you know so the, the, the next question is you probably want to know is well why would the French want to protect their people so much why would they involve their government their civil servants inside the commission why would they do that um, and you have to understand at yeah. this point why have Britain just been bought in 2001 and why have we accepted this thing for which we have difficulty training for which we have very few people with a racing background mm. Most of the Basie guys are strong recreational skiers who've become yeah. high-level skiers yeah. living in ski resorts, yeah. um, which will exclude them. Well, they said at the time, they said, okay, well, your level threes, or level twos as they were then, you know, the, the, the ISIA level now, they can all work as stagiaires. Mm. Oh, brilliant. Well, okay. You know, everyone was like, well, that, you, know, that's, you know, maybe that can work. Three years later, gone. Yeah. They took that away. 
I heard that was taken away for the recognition of snowboard equivalents or something. In I, exchange I, I, for, I don't know whether that's the case. Uh, the snowboard, the snowboard story is a separate but very similar story. Yeah. Um, we'll come to that another time. We'll come to that another time. We'll follow yeah. up. Yeah, but so they, they, you know, if you want to understand why the French go to such lengths to protect their people, you yeah. have to understand. Like a few years ago, I mean, it's a good story, but a few years ago, there was, above Valmorel, there was that large boulder. And it fell, I don't know whether you remember, but it fell onto the road. And the, the whole of the Van, Van, you know, whole of the Van Wilder, the Teen, Lazare, Val d'Azer, yeah, yeah, Courchevel, yeah. Maribel, all of those resorts are accessed through the tiny gap in Moutier. Yes. And if the instructors were to go on strike and block that road, yeah. there was a, when the rock fell on the road, it didn't even block the roads to, 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 the, to, the, to, the, to the Val d'Azer and Teen and those places. Yeah. But the traffic going up to Valmorel stopped, right. and the queue built up back down the road into Moutier, and then it blocked the road into Teen and Val d'Azer and the Three yeah. Valleys, and uh, all those resorts. So hundreds of thousands of people were camping and staying in hotels and sleeping rough in gyms. Yeah. Back, and this was two or three years ago. And, and, and so the effect of that, so they fear the instructors going on strike. So as a consequence, they're, they're scared to death. Well, they're highly unionised. Yeah. Highly unionised. Each ski squad has a very strict structure. It's yeah. a national organisation. And the way it works locally is you have half the instructors are members. Yeah. Half are what's called stagiaires. Yes. You're a stagiaire whilst you're in this training period, training to get, you know, and the then when you resist. become a monitor, you're part yeah, of the and, club. And yeah. the difference between the two is if you're a member, I mean, I'm sure you know all this, but I'm going to say it for the No, 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 the no If you're a member, mm. you get a share of the profits. Right. If you're not a member, you make the profits. You earn a lower percentage of the value of the lessons, you make the profits. Yeah. So the whole system depends. Well, these stagiaires can't go off and start their own ski school. They can't go independent. If they did, they'd be like good stagiaires who couldn't become members yeah. who would go off and take all the clients and start ski schools, and the whole system would fall down. Mm. Their share of the profits. So they do their teaching, they get their hourly rates, but the members then get a bonus created by the stagiaires who are trying to get through this system. So the real reason behind all of this is the internal structure of the ESF. So the barrier between being a stagiaire and being a member yeah. is the Eurotest. It also sounds like awfully like a pyramid scheme. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> They're everywhere. So, yeah, so if you, want to, if you want to get into the money, you've got yeah. to get past this test. So they need a barrier which essentially controls how many members there are. Yeah. So you think, well, the Eurotest, no, it's you ski racer and they have a percentage and it's really fair but of course the percent they know that the number of people coming in every year is the same yeah. and they know how many people they need they know next year so many will retire the year after so many will retire the year after so many will retire so mm. they know how many they come in you know when, when when the french president tries to reform the retirement age you know when he says okay people will have to retire a year later yeah it's not the 65-year-olds who go on strike because they don't want to work another year. It's the 17-year-olds mm -hmm. who think that when they leave school next year, there'll be no jobs. Yeah. Because the way they all perceive the marketplace is that, well, if they don't retire, there'll be no jobs for us. Mm. They don't, it's not a flexible thing that grows and shrinks. It's, you know, it's a fixed amount. It's a fixed supply. So that's, how, that's their perception of the... Um, of the marketplace for work. And so the ESF has this barrier and as the numbers come through, 
How can they vary the level? How can they control the numbers? Well, first of all, if you have a reasonably consistent number of people retiring, therefore a reasonably consistent number of people coming in, mm. you can tolerate variations in success. Yeah. You don't need to change the test every year. You might need to open it up a little bit. And if you've got these guys who are racers, but not actually racing, so not you can't say, what are your fist points? Like you come with the eye scientist. Yeah. You, you just have this guy. And I imagine them like in a barn, like lifting weights. <laughs> like they were on the French team, you know. They're, they're now stronger than they were before. Yeah. You know, this is where this is where the real action is. You know, yeah, don't yeah. mind all that racing for nothing. <laughs> this is like, now I'm defending the system. So they bring him out. Yeah. We go, well, no one's retiring next year. Oh, well, we don't need... They can accept a few more going one year. Yeah. And if they need to change it a little bit, well, they can change the slope. They yeah. can change the day. Yeah. They can change the, you know, they can bring out the bull or they can leave him at home. Mm -hmm. You know, there are ways for them to legally vary the number of people coming in. And they don't need to do it every year. They don't need, mm. don't need to counter big swings. They can just gently yeah. control the number. And if they can slot the foreigners into the same funnel... They can turn to their own guys who are worried about immigration, essentially, mm. because fair enough. I mean, they, they work there. They've gone through this, this system. They expect to have a certain amount of work. And like everywhere, people have concerns about, you know, immigrants taking their jobs. Mm. And they have political pressure to limit that. So they've using the lobby at the EU, the local government, the authorities that control the paperwork for the foreigners, using all of those avenues. They manage to fit them into that, into that funnel, mm. which makes... Our system, if you like, essentially a subsidiary of, the of, of their system. Yeah. Unless, of course, you come and work here. And we're probably great for the whole system because we can still employ people and there's not, it's not like, well, you, when you get your level four, yeah. you can start teaching. Well, we, yeah. You know, so that, that's yeah. my understanding of the whole thing. And if you're a young British instructor and you're coming through and you look at your system and it goes, Okay, you do level one, two, three, and four, and as part of your level four, you've got to do the Euro test, and a lot of them come through, and they work all over, and they get to the level four, and they go, oh, Euro test, okay, too hard, I won't go any further. Or they go, right, I'm going to do it, and they start training. But no one is going to explain all the history and the reasons behind it, and because they've accepted it, and not yeah. under their rights as Europeans, which may now end. So really what we're arguing about, I mean, you know, this this approach to it, this, well, here is the European law allowing freedom of movement. If you want to maximise that, if you want to take advantage of that as much as you can, mm. therefore we could have pushed for this, which some of us were. But actually, you know, you're talking really about a few hundred interested instructors with a tiny office in Aviemore yeah. up against 25,000 well-paid French instructors their union representatives, their leaders, you know, they have enough members that they can hold the balance of power in the Haute Savoie. Well, I think it's, it's, it's so even bigger than that, isn't it? Yeah, the, I mean, the current negotiator of Brexit is a former... Well, he was in the commission when they got the yeah. derogation. So, yeah. you know, Barney, they probably gave Barnier the Brexit job because he'd done such a good job <laughs> stitching up these ski instructors like it, as they call him, they call him the ski instructor. Yeah, you know, because he's from the Alps. Look at his look at his um, Twitter. His little picture of the, the Alps in the background. I mean, it's he's their man, and he you know he probably went well. You know, I, but hopefully he you know the, the European Commission is now dealing with the British government, mm. which hopefully is more competent than us or the British instructors in two thousand and one. Because yeah, really, you know, there's no political support, very little political support. If you're the MP for Spey Valley, maybe. 
maybe yeah, you're, yeah. you know, like, okay, well, there's this thing in my, there's this organisation in my valley which has these members all over the country and they're not very powerful. I mean, we're not of great importance to the Foreign Office. So no. you can't, you know, I mean, I don't want to go into this too much, but that was, I mean, it's all it's, it, it potentially now all academic, but mm. we did fall short, I felt, all the time of maximising the opportunities that the EU gave us during that 20-year period. Yeah. What happens next, who knows? No, we'll see what... But, yeah, we definitely, I mean, by only letting the level fours in, Mm. It did then create a bit of a system where they would then train, you know, and I've done it, trained other other people for the system, and it creates a sort of, creates a little machine, you know, that, that mm. feeds itself. So, uh, you know, it could have been so much more. Yeah. If new generation had access to a thousand level threes, mm. and if level, you know, twos could work for four weeks, two weeks, or something, you know, yeah. there is a new agreement that's come through now, which may even be a little bit better if yeah. we still have access to that but yeah I mean that's my take on the history of the thing and then there's all the in amongst that there's all sorts of ski school stories and blah blah blah, blah oh, I'm sure. time, but, yeah, yeah. but you know there are, there have always <coughs> like Phil said very very in his, in his great way he, he said Phil Smith he said um, you know there have always been two sides to the story and some people were like well it's the French system and you have to go along with that thing and, uh, and to come into a small village and say well now everyone can come and work here. Yes, you know the the people in these villages of much. You know, in Britain we are British, aren't we? Or you know, our Englishness or Scottishness maybe is a bit stronger. Our identity as being from a particular county is much. You know, if you had to I, draw, develop your identity as a sort of pie chart or something. Yeah, your region for us is much smaller as part of our identity than it is in in Europe. So yeah people in the Savoie are Savoyards and it yes, is a much right. bigger thing for them than and they're from this village or this valley or much more important to them than mm. it is to people in the UK so they they still are thinking in those terms not in terms of I am part of a European wide free market no, no, exactly. and what opportunities can they, can this give me and what what are the threats yeah um, whereas we in Britain you know you go to Sheffield look at the Don Valley Dessert. I mean, there are some industries there, but large parts of it just yeah. gone. Yeah. And you think, well, that's the downside of being in a free market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, that's true. You know. Um, so, but there are upsides as well, and you mm. go to you know different parts of the UK. It's a great prosperity. Yeah. Um, but we we accept that more. We're we, we, you know a rural French community. There are yeah there are people on both sides of the argument. I think you're right. Yeah. If you've got a final. Five minutes or so. We spent a lot of time on that that particular topic. We but, did, didn't we? Yeah, far um, too much. No, it's all you right. Cut it's half a, that. Cut every other word out. It still <laughs> won't make sense to most I people. I think these things are interesting because it's important that people know the background of this stuff. You know why these things came to be, as opposed to just swallowing it whole and saying, "Well, yeah, this is the only way." You know, it makes us sound like conspiracy theorists a little bit, but uh, actually, it, it, it does. Yeah, there's, there's, I, you know, it's important that you know. Who are you getting into bed with? I mean, I mean, I think really, if you, if you, the more time will go by, you look back at, at the British ski instructors at that time, and you have to think, well, you know, what what chance really did we stand against the might of against a whole you know massive union and uh, supported by a government who had a great deal of influence in, in the European yeah, yeah. Commission. And maybe the, maybe the thing you would learn from that is that if you're going to engage with that and if you're going to have rights and opportunities within any sort of international organisation, then you mm. want to make sure that 
a government would want to make sure that you make the most of them. Yeah. And you don't get, you know, a lot of stuff sold out. I mean, you talk to people from Latvia and they had some sort of salt industry or some, you know, they go, well, being in Europe's good, but we've lost our, you know, tablecloth industry or we've lost our mm. salt mine or, you yeah. know, yeah. there are downsides. You give something up yeah. to join it. So as time goes on, we'll probably, you know, you move away from all the, all the, and, you know, it was very divisive at the time because there are, and there still are. Mm. There's a few people who believe in that and that more open model. And there are a few people who, who hate that idea. And if you're in France now and you're earning good money, it is presented to you as, well, the only alternative to more and more protection is this scene where everything gets blown apart and you won't earn any money. Mm. When, in fact, there's probably a sensible middle ground somewhere where mm. somebody in France who has three instructors could actually then have three more, five more, mm. ten more. Everyone wins. Yeah, and yeah. there'd be more people working. And in Switzerland, very clever. I mean, they have a, a regulation. Mm. And you can still earn good money as a, as a battle. Right. And yeah. there is a chance to train and develop your career because yeah. it's, you know, it's yeah. a much more sensible mm. set of regulations than in France. And, and yeah. you can see they're, they're at one end of the scale and, and we're at the other, I think, on balance. You know, and imagine it yeah. being it's a very divisive thing within our association. So, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, there is there are people who've really pushed it out there, like Simon. Yeah. Um, and there are people who are very much on the other side, and mm. you know, they want to just protect their little patch, and they want to do their hours, and, and that's great, and that's fine. Mm. Um, but very hard. I think apathy in the first place is probably the, the chief. Yeah. Problem. Yeah. You know. Um, All right. Let's um. Let's just finish off on this one then, because I'm it's you know it's a personal personal interest in the mind. But how did you? We took, we're going back now to to ES. Yeah. So at some point, you have managed to make the transition from maybe maybe not ES being all about you. Yeah. To scaling that business bigger. Yeah. So this is ski instruction as business listener. Um, yeah. How how do you? How did you manage to do that? Was has it taken long to let go of an element of that control, or no, you, would no. you say you're still all over the top of it? I think in terms of no, I think I think um, from the beginning, I call it European snow sport, mm-hmm. um, with a view to expanding into different places, yeah, um, and a view to being seen as more international. And also, a lot of the ski schools have names. Which age? I mean, maybe European. Well, age is the whole thing blows <laughs> so apart. That could go terribly. You know, um, I. But if you called it Verbier Snow Sport, for example, yeah, then that. I mean, yeah. Johnny's ski school was called Ski Cocktail. You know, and cocktails in the eighties were the thing. It was Tom Cruise. It was cocktail. Yeah. It was a name. It was a great. I mean, I loved working for him, and it was it was great. But it was um, it was a thing of its time. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's, uh, there are all sorts of, I don't want to go into naming all ski sorts, but those like, you know, Crazy Banana or whatever, they yeah, do yeah. name, they do yeah. age after a while. So I always thought, well, it would be seen as a thing. And locally, obviously, I'm connected with it, but to the clients, I don't think. Mm. You know, if I called it the Julian Griffiths Ski Academy or something, then I'm forever, yes. forever dependent on me. You know, I yes. have to be like, I couldn't never sell it or anything like that. So I think operationally, you've just got to develop, like up until the credit crisis, mm. it was just me and a bunch of instructors and sell less, people queuing out the door, you know, for lessons, because yeah. not because we were so popular, I mean, I like to think we were, but yeah. or because our, our admin and sales were so ineffective, you know. 
And after the credit crisis, we were no longer a bunch of instructors running a ski school. We were had to turn it into more of a business and, mm-hmm. and get organised. And, and, you know, the system we have for the emails now is really complicated but mm-hmm. really effective. And the, the administration here is... You know, if you want to see a work permit from three years ago for a certain instructor or that yeah. salary from a month, we can find it quickly. We're organised, you know. Yeah. Um, and you have to be, I think. To, so it comes from all the ski instructor stuff, all the helping people through their exams and all that, you know, dealing with the clients and instructors to a lot of planning, organisation. And at one point we were like super, you know, we had fixed agendas for all sorts of meetings and colour-coded managerial systems. And now... Yeah. Now we have actually simplified it a lot. Mm. And we've got rid of extraneous projects, shiny objects. We have the ESSA, we have the RIDE, we have the different mm. sub-brands. But we don't have too many... Sh- we, we've tried to avoid going into too many other areas and just try to have a really strong focus on providing good instructors to holidaymakers who want to find a good instructor in these top resorts. Yeah, It's easy to lose sight of that and go off, go off in yeah, yeah. And go off and you get approached all the time by you know we had one guy approach us with these crazy um pogo like foot things you know you still like a big spring you stick yeah. on each foot and you, you, know, you could run courses and you could it's like no <laughs> you don't want to do all these there's an element you know, of concentrating on what you're good at and you could it? spend all your time yeah. going around chasing after you know three yeah. sets of goggles or whatever and yeah. but actually you know what we want to do is focus on you know, you pick up the phone, you get through it, it's brilliant. There's someone who speaks your language, you book a lesson, it's reasonably priced. The instructor's awesome, he'll come to your chalet, she'll meet you at the nursery slope if that's where you want to meet. Mm. Um, she knows who you are, she knows how you ski, she's there, she was there last year. Um, you know, she knows the resort, she knows where to go, she knows what the wine is like in the restaurant, which one to yeah. order, she can translate the menu for you, she can think ahead as you go. She tells you what's on in the resort that night, where to go for dinner. Mm. You know, she's a grown up. Yeah. Um, the resort has, the resort has um, changed a lot. You know, like it will in France, they're going to crack mm. down on the on the, the demise of the chalet girl. Yeah, yeah. You know, sure. I mean, it's there yeah. used to be many, 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 and now there are hardly any. But the yeah. the nature has changed. So where you did have a basic chalet with a chalet boy or a chalet girl cooking six nights a week, now you have much larger chalets. Everyone is employed in, in, in by Swiss companies. Mm. They will follow the rules, and, and the, the price point's gone way up. Yeah. And so the number of instructors the clients have is, has changed for us in Verbier. You mm. know, it used to be sort of five, six clients to an instructor. Now it's five, six instructors yeah, to, yeah. to a client. I mean, sometimes a lot of domain, I can do maybe 10 times now, the clients have gone, oh, would you like to... Would you like to ride back to London with us on your, on our jet? You know, and the, the instructors have been on the private jets with the clients, and they, you know, I, I, the sort of the clients have changed. As yeah. as in, as I'm afraid to say, the regulations have pushed a lot of the lower price point companies out of resort. Mm. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not great. But so the ski school has changed, and we have to yeah. the type and age, the type of instructor we have, their age, their experience has it's, it's evolved over, yeah, over yeah. time. And your role within European snow sports now is so you 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 don't get involved in the day to day, you're not in the trenches necessarily. You're more sort of strategic. No, no. I mean, yes, and yes, and no. I mean, I'm I'm at the meeting point in Verbier every morning of okay. the, of the peak season weeks. Yeah. Some of the shoulder weeks too, and I go up there most. I go up there most mornings. To be honest, we then have 
um, the private lessons, you know, in Verbi 10 years ago, all the private lessons would be meeting at the Modrome. Yeah. But now they don't have to. They all get the instructors go wherever. to the chalets, yeah. they meet wherever. So there's no, you don't see the instructors. We might have, you know, 50 instructors out there on a day mm. and you don't see any of them in the morning. They're yeah. all off meeting wherever. But then the kids' groups, um, it's close to a private lesson now, the kids' groups. So yeah. it's, um, it requires, it has a supervisor and someone who helps with the flake trackers and there's a bit of logistics. And I'm there every morning doing that. We have a director in Zermatt, Hannah, who does the same over there. Um, and then, yeah, strategy, marketing, talking to people, trying to educate people about the school, yeah. um, commercial stuff. So I do I do a lot of that as well. But And I teach. Okay. Maybe 100, 200 hours. Um, some of my instructors will be laughing, saying, hey, he never does 200 hours. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you I do like however to, you want to I do. like to think that I'm still out there. And you know what? When I do teach, I love it. I've got some great clients yeah. that come back. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they they probably want a younger model now, but wow. you know they um, they're great and and we have a great time. And when you're out there teaching, I think the guys see me teaching and they're like, okay, you know, I work for a school owned and run by a ski instructor, and that's that's mm-hmm. valuable. You're not just some like business guy there. You know? Yeah. Um, and I get to see them teaching and the competition and yeah, you know, take a few pictures for staff training and, <laughs> and that sort of thing. But but yeah, I, it's good. I mean, I'm a ski instructor, always have been, and I still teach. I've, I teach in Zermatt sometimes. Okay. Um, go over there. Yeah. Got some clients that go there. That's 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 great fun. Mm. See the team over there. But with the team over there, I, I mean, I'll talk to them socially and stuff. But they report to their boss. Yeah. So in the other resorts, if I see someone, you know, if I see someone with like the gloves clipped onto their belt, which is it doesn't sound like much, but we don't do it. So yeah. if I see someone, I, don't, I never, I would never go up to them over there and say, oh, you know, we don't really like, can you, I might say to the manager, oh, you know, I saw someone's over there. And she'd be like, oh, you know. But so I, we have a, we have a chain of command, which is, you know. We, and you don't dip in and out. No, never, no. never. And, and you know, um, that works so much better than when I started over there. And I used to be over there in and amongst it all and, yeah. you know, causing havoc basically. So and I've learned, you learn those things as you go on. You? I think it's the giving up of control. This is, a, this is you know, giving that away. It's what a lot of business owners find the most difficult it, thing. It is so a challenge. Putting good people in place yeah. and then saying, nah, it's for you. I mean, I've got a brilliant, brilliant, um, brilliant uh, lady now who looks after my ops. Um, hello to Alicia. And I tasked her recently, I said, look, you know, what we're doing in terms of our customer database and the way that we do it is, yeah. is, is rubbish. Right? It could be better. Yeah. And to her credit, she's just gone off and done and, and found a brilliant database to set it all up and everything. Yeah. It's awesome. It's a hundred yeah. times better than what we did before. Yeah. And for me, that feels really, really good because I can come back to, you know, my desk like yours. And yeah. I can see these guys working away in the background. Like, oh. Yeah. Hang on, I'm onto something here, because this frees yeah, me yeah, up yeah. then to to go and have conversations like this. This is quality time for me, right? Yeah, yeah and I can yeah. learn from you, and, yeah. and I can go and you know cement our relationships with our other, you know, the people that, that bring us a lot of business and that kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's important. And I think when you do that, it's really hard to do it because people do things in a different way. Yeah, you know, people have different like if. You know things you see your instructors doing when you stick a supervisor in between you and them. Yeah, he will. He or she will um, 
accept things that you wouldn't and insist on things that you haven't thought of. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, you have to you have to let them do that, and that's 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 really hard. Um, mm. We have a team of instructors who are linked very much in with with one of our main clients. They're right. called, called Brambleski Pros, and they're a sort of chalet concierge. And they work for the tour operator, and they work for us. Okay. And they do concierging and ski instructing. Yeah. And it's very integral, and I think it's the way things are going. Mm. You know. Yeah, there's not that demarcation between lines anymore, is yeah. there? Yeah, we launched our own high-level customer service internal certification three years ago. Okay. Um, and it, it it developed over two years, and then last year we paused it. And I think this year we'll relaunch it, but in a, in a slightly simplified form. But basically, when you were working with people, you know, to come here and book a chalet in a peak week, mm. you're looking at the sort of chalet which will have, I mean, people, you know, we have all people on all budgets. You're looking at the sort of chalet that will have two drivers, mm. two hosts, two chefs, yeah. you know, maybe eight, ten staff. Um so, you, you know, tens of thousands of yeah. pounds or euros or whatever, the clients most likely are from anywhere. Mm. And multiple nations in one chalet, so you'll have two French instructors, their friend from Sweden turns up a Swedish instructor, three Brits, two Swiss. You know, it's it's from all over. The language requirements are from all over. And the, the instructors, instead of working in a solo way, are suddenly working in a team. Mm. So we need to coordinate. You know, we're all going to meet up you know we sometimes we've had 12 instructors on, on one client yeah. and they all have to meet at the same restaurant yeah and 12 you know of those 12 instructors and 14 clients six of them are going back to the chalet so vans have to come yeah and then other things have to be caught so it's a big teamwork effort mm. to, so organizing that yeah you need a lead instructor what training do you give them what do they need yeah. to know, you know? Yeah, yeah. it's a real like um it's a real, uh, it's a really complex thing sometimes. It's no longer just, right, the guy goes off, he does what he does. Who knows? They seem happy with it. It's, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's quite hard to, to monitor that because it is a very personal thing, your ski lesson. Mm. And the moment you send, the moment you follow them around, you can't, the, the atmosphere changes. Yes. Um, so it's yeah. hard to know what people, I mean, I spend quite a lot of time watching what the instructors are doing. And you can tell immediately, looking at any ski lesson, does the instructor hold himself in a in a professional way? Mm. Are they into what they do? If they're doing a demonstration, are they really doing it? Are the clients watching? You know, do they do six turns without looking back at the client for better skiers? Yeah. Do they stop? You know, regularly. Are the clients enjoying it? Are they windbagging? Are they? You know, are they? Are they blah blah blah? You can tell if you can tell just from looking if if any clients happy or not. Yeah. And you can tell pretty quickly from the feedback. You know. Some instructors that people rave about them. Some people you don't hear that much, and you think, mm. well, you know, yeah, that's um, true. You don't really get many complaints. It's, it's very. I mean, uh, it's, it's one of my one of my goals for this year is to do a little bit more of that, more of this kind of uh, secret watching. You know, skiing around the mountain and, and yeah, or not hiding behind a tree or whatever. But yeah, you know what I mean. You know, just observing from afar what what, yeah. what our guys are doing on the hill. I think I'm I'm going to get a lot out of that this year. I think yeah. there must be a way to do it. Without, like I say, you, you're not going to be standing right next to them, but you can probably yeah. watch from, from a distance and see what's going on. We, we track um, very carefully the request rates of our instructors. So, right. you know, how requested they are. And we actually, um, we're, we monitor that a lot. And then we look at the instructors and we try and recruit to a type of person that 
is going to be more highly requested. Mm. You know, there, there was that. It's not about being a salesman, and a lot of the instructors think, oh, well, I have to be salesy. Like, well, you don't have to be salesy, because if you give a good lesson, they'll want to book you again. Yeah, exactly. And you'll get a, you'll get a, a yeah. right. It's about being attentive, being good, and then if they are coming back, mm. well, then they had a postcard from you, or they, yeah. you know, hi, how's your summer? You're coming to Verbier this year, and that's all it takes. Yeah. You know, to book a whole series of lessons. But to begin with, you've got to be someone who engages with people. Yeah, that's good for you, right? Because that's zero marketing yeah. cost for you and those guys come yeah. back off of a referral yeah. Uh, request. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've seen instructors who are, you know, perfectly good work-a-day instructors who've gone off to France and, you know, they, they were never really requested with mm. us. But they have a great time over there because the supply is so limited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They can work their socks off. But yeah, no, that's true. Um, here, it's, here it's very competitive from Verbier. Mm. You know, a bad instructor in Verbier won't, won't last long. No. Um, it's very, um, you know, it's very competitive. That's no, true. That's true. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think, what would I say to anyone who's maybe listening to this and um, thinking about becoming a ski instructor? I'd say that the most valuable thing you can do is get experience in customer service environments mm. um, and then if you're thinking about going on a training program obviously book with us but <laughs> if you are thinking about that you, you've got to learn about acquiring skill what is skill how do you how do people acquire it mm-hmm. um, how much practice is needed you know how much you will have to practice to become good at something yeah you don't need input 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 you need a bit of input you need to understand, you need to take ownership. Um, and don't spend too much money, you know, go and go and do a season, live in the resort, learn to ski with people. Well, this is um, another another thing that people don't know. I don't want to, you know, trash these season long long uh, training programmes. But you know, actually there's another way. You don't need to go and go on a eight or nine week gap, go to the resort, ski around, meet people. Yeah. You know, take your exam at the end of it. Chances are, if you skewed enough, you'll be all right. Um, yeah. You know, but that that kind of kills a whole bunch of business models for a whole bunch of people. So we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm going to interview you now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you won't. I'll be the last one you do. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, all right. Well, let's knock it on the head here. The only things we haven't covered is mind maps, but that's all right. And um, I want to thank you for your time. Hey, no worries. It's been great meeting you. Good luck for your season. Thank you, and you. And yeah. you. Um, at the end of this, we always say, give us your pitch. Tell us, uh, you know, where people can find you if they want to find you. Yeah. Or your company, whatever you can yeah. uh, go for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, come to Verbier or Zermatt, Chamonix, Nanda. Um, we are in Verbier. We're in Mountain Air. You can come in and talk to us there, um, or just call us, uh, send us an email, whatever. On all the, you're easy to Google. Um, in Zermatt, we're in Glacier Sport on the Barnhofstrasse. Um, okay. And we've got a great bunch of instructors, most of whom come back year after year with low turnover. Um, and if you're looking for, you know, if you're coming to these resorts, you don't want to compromise on your ski lessons. Mm. Um, they're possibly the most important important part. And we work very hard to find and retain the best instructors. Um, and if you're coming with a family, we've got great kids programs, maximum four in a group. That is cool. For the under sixes, yeah. and maximum six in a group, up to twelve, and then in the peak weeks we run some programs aimed at aimed at teens, so not ski school but yeah. in a group with some some yeah. people and um 
and yeah, we, we are, most of what we do is private lessons, but we have some very good, we position our kids' groups so that it's the best choice if you're more concerned about the quality mm. than the price. Yeah. Um, we're not the cheapest, but you haven't, you know, if you've come to our, you've come to the most Amazing expensive movie. country in Europe <laughs> and you've come to the most expensive resort, so we, we figure that you're probably looking up for a good product, so... I, I always, believe we've, I yeah. believe we've got that. I always in, know the, in all our resources. I always know the clients that we're not going to get from from a, yeah. our ski school, and they're yeah. the ones that ask about price first because we're not. That's just not what we cater for. Yeah, same must be the same with you, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, we do put the prices down in the low season. Ah, yeah, and the other thing is, is that if you're in a group, we don't have additional charges for extra people. I hate that. It's so complicated. Yeah. Why do people do that? Yeah. Oh, you, you know, it's, it's this price for one or two. Yeah. It makes no, no difference whatsoever if you have three or four. So why are we adding, why are we having to do complicated maths to yeah. work out what my ski lesson is going to Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many ski schools do it. It yeah. makes no sense at all. Yeah. And it's, it's just, we, we, don't, we don't charge for that. So if you're in a group. Yeah. And maybe you're on a lower budget. Yeah. We're actually the cheapest. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. 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 Um, the most expensive and the cheapest, depending on <laughs> depending on who you are. How many so, mates you've got? Yeah, how many mates you've got? If you're just here on your own, it's, that's going to cost you. So, um, but yeah, so that's yeah. Thanks for your, thanks for coming up. Um, really, really good luck with your good luck with your winter. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for your time.